Escape from Plan A. All right, welcome everyone to uh, Escape from Plan A. Today's a very uh, lo-fi beats to chill to on a Saturday, on a rainy Saturday afternoon. Uh, And I've got... It's uh, Sunday. Oh, wait, no, it is Saturday. Never mind. I'm out of it. (laughs) That's how how lo-fi we are. (laughs) That's how (laughs) lo-fi... So lo-fi, we don't even we don't even have fidelity to the calendar. Uh, but it's been a while, man. Uh, obviously, we've got we've got Chris coming back um, onto the pod. You've been busy with some other stuff with yeah, uh, just with took a little accounts. Yeah, I just took a little break. Um, but yeah, I'll be I'll be back more. And I started this. Uh, I mean, I've been on this uh, forward to talk about this, but this new podcast, Unverified Accounts, that I started with Liza Romero, one of Planet's co-founders, and Philip also a co-founder and it's it's kind of like what we talk about in planet but it's uh, specifically focused on arts and culture so some of our most popular episodes have been about um for example the hrification of art which we had trevor from champagne sharks on uh we had one episode where we talked about that taiwanese movie a sun and we talked about how it all kind of made us want to go back to asia you know especially in the last year oh that was a really uh, good one I, I, oh um, thanks yeah i would write i mean if people if people follow some of the uh, going back to Asia uh, conversations that we've had on this pod on Escape from Plan A, like the one the one with like Carl or whatever, that was a very good compliment of an episode. Mm-hmm. Another popular episode is we went on how bullshit the whole like cultural appropriation arguments are. Uh, th- this was when that mahjong thing happened, and all these like Asian Americans mm. uh, went up in arms. We were just like, "What the fuck is going on?" Um, Oh, we had one where we talked about our own political evolution and how we used to be neoliberal shitheads back in the day uh, and how we've evolved. And uh, one of our recent popular episodes, I mean, other than the one attacks on Asian Americans, of course, was one called Generation Wuss, which is a term phrased by Brett Easton Ellis, the author of uh, American Psycho and Less Than Zero and other books. And his whole argument that culture these days are, are too focused on moralizing and uh you know protecting people's sense of well-being and self-esteem which we agree with so yeah that's just a flavor of of what we like to talk about yeah Brady Snellis that was that's a fascinating conversation I listened to that one too and and uh you, you all talked about American Psycho and I I it, like you guys had different opinions on on um BET or whatever, or whatever. <laughs> and um, what BET BEE or what, what, what's his what are his initials? I, I hate saying. Oh, his I thought name. you said BET like Black Entertainment Television. Like what? Yeah, that I was, was like, is that his are his initials? No, Brett Easton Ellis. BEE. Okay, Brett yeah, Easton okay. Ellis. I just yeah. I can't stand saying his name. It's too waspy or something. <laughs> uh, but like, um, yeah, you all I, like Eliza's a big fan of hers, and it seems like you weren't as big a fan. And it was a great discussion because, like, I was kind of going back and forth because I kind of agree on both counts. I like, I don't think he's a I'm great a, writer, but I also I, think he's a great writer. <laughs> I like his thoughts. I don't really like his novels, though. I've read quite a few of them, and I, I wanted to like American Psycho, but it, it was just a lot of the same shit, you know, about how he goes around, you know killing prostitutes, drop, name dropping brand names, and it got repetitive. But I like yeah, his I mean, overall philosophy. 
I don't. I mean, I don't want to talk about the stuff you guys already talked about, but I just because like the pod is something where when I listen to it, I'm like, oh, I wish I could chime in because like let, let, let's take like American Psycho for example, right? I agree that like all the name dropping stuff is kind of like tropey and gets boring after a while, but god damn, is he good at it? Like his, do you know what I mean? Like how yeah, many yeah, outfits he did has... he put together? <laughs> <laughs> I learned a lot him. about men's fashion at least 80s yeah. style i don't know if all those brands are still around but yeah yeah it'll give you an yeah. education yeah anyway also so it's that... funny to learn about all the the hot spots of the 80s um oh oh like which restaurants and stuff are those yeah. were those real restaurants or i thought yeah no like le cirque thing. is a real place uh i've yeah. been to it once you know on the company dime of course uh you know the 21 but, club which recently shut down you know places like yeah, that that's sad. but what no but what was the one that was like the super hot restaurant that you could not oh dorcia i do, i think that might be fake um, dorcia is fake right yeah. it's mentioned so much that i don't think they would have been happy if they were a real restaurant because they'd be associated mm. with that bug. it was kind of like a stand-in for like maybe like nobu in the late 90s or something it was yeah like that something kinda, like that yeah yeah mm. okay um so should we move on to uh, first order of business? What did, yeah, what did we have Super Ron. Let's talk about our friend. <laughs> I think was it David Sirota that called him a human blowtorch? That's just like taking down the the <laughs> blowing the doors wide open on the biggest political scandal in America. I think that's what Sirota said about him. Oh yeah, um, I have you seen or listened to the podcast on the Katie Halper show with him, uh, Ron Kim and David Sirota. I listened mm -hmm. to that recently. It was very informative. Mm -hmm. That's where I got most of my information from. Mm -hmm. But I mean, just going back a bit, the last, one of the last pods I did with uh, Escape from Plan A was an, talking with Ron Kim staffers. This was when he was still in that primary battle with Steve Lee, is it? Was that his opponent? Yeah, the cop. Yeah. So, I mean, we backed the right guy. I mean, and then thank God he won. And now he's now he's doing his thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wish there was I wish he was like a stock because we picked him you know, <laughs> when he was at four or five bucks. And now he's gone uh, GameStop on us. We were the uh, deep fucking value of Ron King yeah. stock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Well, unfortunately, uh, we're, we're you know be, they should haul us before Congress to testify as to what were we or were we funneling Chinese money to Ron T. Kim in the early, yeah. early stages? Oh, uh, I, I think he uh, you know he's going on the View, he's going on Morning Joe. So I mean, it might be he might be a little busy for us, but I mean, hopefully, we can get him back on sometime. <laughs> yeah, he's he is the type of guy. I mean, I, I I love Ron, and I and I feel like I mean we love Ron, and I I would feel like. Um, he would always make room for, you know, just like the local grassroots type stuff, like some Asian American uh, podcast or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, in case listeners don't know, maybe we should go over the details of what exactly has mm. happened with him. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what happened was, uh, so there was this whole, there's this whole scandal with Andrew Cuomo about him forcing uh, COVID patients. Now this is back in early 2020, like March or April forcing people who had covid because they needed more room in the hospitals uh forcing them into nursing homes and he they not only lied about the number of people they sent i think initially they said it was about six thousand when the actual number it turns out was more like nine thousand and he lied about how dangerous it was and all that and one of the reasons they lied was they, they thought that if the information was leaked then the trump administration would use it against them and stuff and on the on the katie halper show 
uh, you know, they talk about, okay, well, that's, you know, that's not a legal reason. That's not legally justifiable in any court. Oh, yeah, my, my political opponent would have used it against me. You can't do that to, like, break the law, you know. And another insidious thing is that uh, during when they passed the budget last year, they slipped in this corporate immunity clause that would uh, protect all the corporate officers who ran these nursing homes from any liability, which is really the only protection uh, that if your you know, grandpa or grandma or, or whoever died because of negligence or something in these places, the only way to hold the people in charge accountable is through uh, you know, some kind of lawsuit. But he got rid of that. And uh, lo and behold, in 2018, when Cuomo was in that battle with Cynthia Nixon, one of the, his biggest donors was part of the whole like nursing home uh, like industry. So, I mean, all the, all the ties, uh, you know, make sense. And uh, latest thing, um, he's, uh, I think this goes without saying, I didn't even know, I didn't know why this didn't even come out earlier because, you know, he just seems like the type. But um, one of his staffers, Lindsey Boylan, uh, has accused him of sexual harassment. Among other things, he would like pressure into playing strip poker on the plane and, and shit like that. And he would make fun of like female staffers' weight and their various relationships and all the scummy stuff. He also just straight up kissed her on the lips, which is kind of oh, shit. I if did... you think about it. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't even know about that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and it, 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 would, uh, it would behoove us to mention that uh, Lindsay Boylan, I think, is the name of the person who, of the, of the sta- a former aide who accused yeah, I... him. And her husband's last name is Kim. And I just, when I saw that, I was Yeah, Leroy like... Kim. He's a, he's a, I guess he's a Korean guy. Is Korean guy, Korean American guy, and uh, when I saw that, I was just like, "Oh man, how much does Cuomo hate uh, Korean Asians? guys named Kim?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, you know, he was on uh, Ron Kim was on NPR. He was on the Brian Lehrer show, and I listened to uh-huh. it. Someone in the Discord had linked it, which I'm really thankful for. And um, he played Brian Lehrer, who's who's kind of a shitlib. I, I really dislike Lehrer, but Lehrer played a clip uh, that I had not heard before of Andrew Cuomo. Uh, Responding to, I th- I think the media where Kit Ron had said that part of the pr- problem, and I think this is a valid, uh, this is a valid criticism, and it's something that I think Ron had been empowered by the legisl- by by the Assembly, New York Assembly, to go and investigate. Um, you know, what was going on here with the nursing home stuff. But he's been saying, Ron has been saying that part of the reason, part of the problem is Andrew Cuomo's. Uh, uh, funding, right? Like how he gets his money. A lot of it comes from the same uh, interests that own a lot of these uh, hospitals and nursing homes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when uh, a lot of the problems in the nursing home started to come out in terms of the number of deaths there, one of the first orders of business that Cuomo uh, had uh, pushed through uh, was shielding them from lawsuits, like mm-hmm. of all the things that you know got uh, top of the piled in terms of what was in the uh, you know w- what you know what was really like something that they had to do quickly and and that was really important in terms of you know getting getting laws passed and stuff was to protect these nursing homes from getting sued and so Ron had been saying that and I think he said that on the last pod that we did that you know this seemed to be a pattern of of Cuomo protecting the interests that. You know, we're paying him uh, and supporting his, um, you know, supporting him. Uh, and I, there was a clip of Cuomo coming back and saying, uh, well, it seems like, you know, this might be some kind of projection where Ron is just trying to cover up the fact that he's in the pocket of the nail salons. 
Big nail, yeah. Big nail. And Lara, which is a fucking, I'm, I mean, look, I, I think that's frankly pretty racist because first of all, the idea that there's big nail money out there is ridiculous. And second, <laughs> <You know. laughs> I think it's trying to put Ron in his place. Like, yo, you're that, you're that weird Korea nail salon guy, right? Like you're, you're, you're probably taking, I think the suggestion is that he's taking in illegal money, right? Because anytime you talk about nail salons, it's all always like, you know, illegal foreign money and all this shit or human trafficking money. Yeah, he's and, basically calling um, him a pimp. Yes, that's right. And of course, Brian Lehrer was like, uh, you know, do you have any response to that assembly, assemblyman, Kim? Is this just a case of mudslinging between two uh, equally corrupt politicians? And uh, that really pissed me off. But when I and then, you know, they uh, there were callers that were calling in that like I I feel like were probably coordinated by Cuomo. And they were all like, uh yeah, I'm just getting the sense here that there's just a lot of mudslinging by the assemblymen, and really this is about trying to, you know, get attention. But this is a time when Democrats really need to come together because, you know, Kim is sounding an awful lot like he's helping the Republicans on this one. Yeah. Uh, I was just like, oh, shut the fuck up. I was a little worried, but now it seems like people have come out of the woodwork to really, including uh, the mayor. De Blasio oh, yeah. has come out and been like, "Yeah, Cuomo's a Cuomo's a complete fucking asshole." Yeah, I didn't mention this earlier because I, I mean, I, it just like I, I, it's kind of those things where it, it's you think everybody knows just because you pay attention a lot to it. But the whole thing started because Ron Kim came forward about a threatening phone call he got from Andrew Cuomo, where he pretty much said, "I'm going to end your career unless you do what I want and take back what you said about the nursing homes and and say, uh, you know, Andrew Cuomo is a saint and everything." And instead, Ron Kim went to the public and said, this is what he said. And um, pretty much everybody apparently has the same story of this happening, including uh, Bill de Blasio, uh, which is why he went on Morning Joe. And, uh, you know, he was pretty much uh, corroborating what Ron Kim said, which was a funny side because like Bill de Blasio is, is a much bigger name than Ron Kim. He's like, well, why didn't you come out, especially when you were fighting with Andrew Cuomo, but instead of, you know, just following Ron's lead. But that's how it all started, and now uh, it's because it, Ron's a badass, right? And also uh, that that caller was like, "Well, yeah, the Democrats need to, you know, band together." The refreshing thing about it is how bipartisan or like tripartisan this is, because like Democrats hate Andrew Cuomo, Republicans hate Andrew Cuomo, and like uh, leftists hate Andrew Cuomo. So I see such a unification. I, it doesn't really seem to be an ideological thing. It just it's like everybody just hates this guy and they just needed that one uh, bulldozer to, to, you know, take down the wall so that everyone could, could follow. Hmm. I think I found my segue here, my lo-fi Saturday uh, oh, yeah? segue into the next topic. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah. So what you said about everyone hating this, uh, this sort of like mainstream Democrat, mainstream liberal or whatever, uh, maybe that that's our segue into this uh, JCK, uh, mm-hmm. this JCK thread. Another good friend of ours. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, they're not good enough for him to ever come out and actually come on the pod. But uh, <laughs> he's kind. He's because I think he's half. He's halfway there himself, and I think he's he 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 loves talking. One thing about JCK is like if you if you read his tweets, which are sometimes really stupid, but sometimes great. I think he's a he's a home run kind of guy. Yeah, he's like, like a, he either strikes out, I guess, or hits a home run. Nothing in between. Exactly. Yeah. And and recently he in my opinion he hit a he hit a home run. All right. So, uh he he wrote that it's truly incredible how much has been written about the attacks on Asian Americans uh and how many of those stories very carefully avoid the actual issue. 
Um, can't re- can't really remember anything where you have to write about it, but you can't actually discuss it. It's almost as if one type of racial sensitivity compels you to cover it, but another compels you to discuss it in such vague and lobotomized terms that you can actually read the strain on the page. Anyway, sorry to all <laughs> white people who have to write about this. Must be confusing. Uh, this is That was one part of the uh, tweet I didn't really like about how he seemed to suggest there that this might be a problem with white people who write about it. Um, the great red pilling of Asian America is underway. Actually, this part I really agree with. Wouldn't be surprised to see 20% swings in 2024. He means toward, you know, Asian American voters towards uh, the Republicans. Most of this is economic. Uh, you know, suppose 65 immigrants getting richer. I don't agree with that. I think actually getting richer pushes you to the Dems now. Uh, but the way these attacks are being discussed privately uh, bodes very badly for liberal candidates. The standard institutional language of race in America is profoundly broken and assumes a binary that stopped making sense after the Hart Seller Act and certainly makes less sense now. This isn't to say you have to talk about immigrants because it's unfair if you don't. To be on, to be honest, I'm not really sure what the relevance of Hart Seller Act is there, but okay. Nobody should act, uh, care about representation that much. The problem is that the language actually can't discuss the lives of immigrants in any accurate or meaningful way. So everything festers. People get frustrated. That hesitancy to discuss feels like callousness, which it is. Anyway, if I were a Republican running for office in any city with a lot of Asians, I would start a law and order, full capitalist, bring back testing campaign right now. Liberal elite Asian America, which only really started to the mid to late 90s, is receding. Okay, I mean, I get that fear, but I think Ron Kim versus Steve Lee is an example of how... um, that that that's not necessarily like a home run strategy, but okay. Yeah, uh, a couple of things I want to say uh, for yeah. people who don't know the Hart Seller Act is another name for the Immigration and Nationality Act, uh, which is the 1965 immigration reform bill that you know we probably all know about. Secondly, when he says bring back testing, is he talking about COVID or like school testing, like SATs and other standardized testing? Because uh, it makes more I, sense if he's talking about like school testing, right? Because I think that said, would be bring back testing. Yeah, bring back testing. Does he mean COVID uh, testing? Because I don't think that's really a. Where does he say bring back testing? Uh, well, you, didn't you read that? I might. Where have, he said, uh, it, it "If you're a Republican, if you're a Republican, you would uh, ramp up law and order." Uh, oh, 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 I see. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, bring back testing. Yeah, yeah. Bring back testing. Yes, I think he means like with the you know with the with the magnet schools. Yeah, okay. All right. That yeah, makes more yeah. sense, yeah. Yeah. So for for the record, and and it's interesting because as he's saying like, oh, you know, they never get to the point. <laughs> he finally gets to the point about eight, <laughs> eight tweets down. For the record, the quote, the actual issue is the long history of racial violence between black and Asian communities, the complete inability for anyone to process it and the new variable, which is how these incidents, which involve black assailants play out over Asian social media. At some point, one of these foot patrols or the cops themselves will falsely accuse or attack a black person, and we will have a Central Park Five. It's on us to prevent that from happening and to use this time to actually do the coalition building and organizing work. And we have to absolutely reject these false binaries. The only way to actually care about the victim is to see the depth of the problem. Reject, quote, summit activism, where some multicultural elites do panels, and reject carceral, quote, solutions that will 100% lead to more violence. Um... And he's quote tweeting someone who said, even here, you are more concerned about a Central Park Five uh, where innocent black individuals are accused and not about the innocent Asians who have already been assaulted and murdered. Uh, so that's the that's the th- thread. 
that I saw, and I saw, I actually saw this because Eliza had retweeted it yesterday. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, you know what? Looking on it, I don't think it's a home run tweet. It's I think a tweet thread. I just think it's it's at least pointing out that there the it's at least pointing out that there definitely is a contingent of Asian American summit activists. I guess is his term for it that. And, and NBC Asian America recently did this. Uh, I forgot the name of the person, but she she wrote this thing about like all you Asian Americans on Twitter talking about hate crimes. Just realized that there has been no evidence that most of these t- attacks are even racially motivated. And you know, like let's just let's let's work on. It's always some some stuff like let's work on building coalitions and whatever, and not you know focusing trying to trying to you know you know, find racial divisions when they're, when they're not there. Yeah. Like, Which like is, that. if you notice the exact same thing that JCK uh, concludes with, but I think the key part in that tweet thread is he talks about the, the waning of the Asian American liberal elite. Yeah. And it, it, I think it goes to something that our friend Josh Cho tweeted today or, or yesterday where he talked about how come we're not actually hearing from the, the victims or the victim class, which is namely Asian American, uh, less assimilated, usually uh elderly asian americans but you know we never hear from them we only hear about some like professor at columbia or some shit like that and even if the conclusion is ultimately the same like let's not turn this into a race war among the minority which i don't think anyone's advocating for very few like those people are on the margins but it's more like well who should be uh, you know like leading this like the actual people getting attacked who are on the ground or the people who are more concerned about their image among their peers yeah, I, and I think he is pointing out something uh, that is true. I'm not. I'm not sure he came out and say this, but I think you can easily infer this from what what he's saying is that I think that the more you suppress this topic, and the more that people on the left are sort of putting a throwing a wet blanket over it, um, the more you're forcing people to the right. It, it, it it's exactly this stuff about you know not you know the the summit activist way to say like almost preemptively attack or accuse Asian Americans of, you know, anti-blackness that actually sort of encourages it. No, exactly. Anti-blackness, I mean, you know. And what, and what makes it worse is often the, you know, the ones making the accusations, the, the elite Asian Americans, they will say things like, you know, white adjacency or throw those words around. Yet, who are the ones who are closest to whites, you know, in terms of their friends, their their jobs, their you know relationships. Meanwhile, the, the Asians getting attacked, they're poorer. They actually only really hang out with other Asians. Hell, they probably have more contact with black people than the than the elite Asians. Yet they're constantly attacked as being some kind of like suck ups to the whites. When when the people making the accusation, that's the resentment. And he talks about you know a twenty percent swing to to the right. I mean, the thing that is the bulwark against that is. Someone like Tom Cotton just came out a few days ago with basically like a let's defeat China type of bill about how we're going to pull all our jobs out of there. And I think Asian Americans, even those who aren't Chinese, have this intrinsic and I think very correct feeling that this isn't really just about, you know, the the, the CCP or whatever. It goes to a deep resentment and fear of the only other uh, rival uh, civilization on Earth that can challenge the West, which is like the, the East Asia that is the bulwark that will guard against them because as much as the, the right will try to court Asian Americans while they're still doing it, it'll be kind of a, a mindfuck for, for Asians who, who might want to go there. 
But yeah, I think it is this resentment of largely, I think, cultural and social issues more so than economic. Because as you said, uh, you know, there's really not that much difference. If you're a rich person, you are probably better off with the Democrats in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I think the, the the Republicans have just become sort of like the populist party in a way. Uh, yeah. The Democrats have, are keeping the ship nice and tidy in terms of who's really in charge. So we would be amiss if we didn't uh, point out that uh, Jen Fang from Reappropriate uh, responded good to friend. this. And, yeah, and <laughs> another good friend. She's someone that I can only read her tweets in incognito mode because virtually all of us have been blocked by her. But um, which is, we, I say that with pride. Uh, mm-hmm. And the... So she, of course, she was not called out in that tweet thread, as you can tell. But of course, she took it very personally, um, because I think if you say summit activists, uh, you know, people who look at this and have nothing but throw together this another Asian American panel with the same tired ass voices saying the same tired ass things and no, you know, doesn't help anything, that would be her. So mm-hmm. she responded. Um, I, I'd like to read this thread i get well this is a long one actually um but i'll 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 read the highlights if i can uh those who would characterize asian american discussions of intersectionality anti-blackness and solidarity work as a pastime of quote out of touch liberal elites seem to forget that those discussions emerge out of and are still led by community organizers and local residents and then it goes into a history lesson about the third world liberation front the earliest modern Asian American, like, okay, let, mm-hmm. let's go back to the 60s. Uh, these students grew up in ethnic enclaves upon their, gra- it's a whole boring ass story about how the third world liberation front, the whole, you know, the whole Gidra era that they're always coattailing, right? But don't mm-hmm. really, sh- I mean, I'm not trying to in any way denigrate, because uh, I really admire what was going on back then. But I think people in the current era who, uh, sort of try to avail themselves of the imagery and power of things like Third World Liberation Front are shit libs. And they put, what they're doing is they're just printing, you know, pictures of uh, Grace Lee Boggs or, or uh, you know, onto T-shirts to sell them for their Patreon, uh, you know, <laughs> income, right? Like it's not, they don't really share the same politics um, as, for example, the Black Panthers. They don't, Actually, like it, they 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 shared the uh, watered down Martin Luther King, uh, the misinterpreted Martin Luther King type liberal ethic. They're not they don't share anything in common with Black Panthers, you know, or mm-hmm. Huey Newton or anything like that. Anyway, so um, it, it, it's it's basically a very defensive tweet about how. Um, you know, focus on inter- it's all uh, it's all a word salad of shit that doesn't really mean anything. The goal is best achieved by working together as a community, not giving in to divide and conquer rhetoric. Okay, who's dividing and conquering? Who's who's working together as community? I mean, it, it, that's that's exactly what we're talking about here. A focus on intercommunal organizing and solidarity is also informed by a thoughtful reading of our movement history. Our history is full of examples of how. So, of course, it means like. You know, she is the uh, rightful heir to the Asian American, you know, history. She's the one who's carrying on the tradition of the radical organizing and all this stuff. Um, it's offensive to dismiss this kind of work. Oh, so now she's taking personal offense. It is offensive to dismiss this kind of work and discourse in the modern era as an obsession of ivory tower elites. Who the fuck cares if you're offended? This is like the, the issue is like violence against 
like just regular people on the street. It's not a matter of your fucking feelings, okay? Not yeah. only is oh, that a broad sli- oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, recently um you know a friend sent you know sent me uh, screenshots of her because uh, you know i'm blocked too so I, c- I can't see it and i don't follow her uh so uh this friend sent me screenshots of things she tweeted recently and it was, it was about how uh you know she, she was feeling sad because there was a lot of you know she and other organizations like cpm mutiny were in the you know back in the day i guess maybe mid-2000s when the whole online activism thing for asian americans took off that they were there they were the first ones but these days she's seeing a lot of uh, other Asian Americans, especially like Asian American feminists, who are proclaim themselves to be like the first bold, uh, maybe like unapologetic voice, and how how she feels like overlooked. So I think in the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. You know, who gets credit, who gets the lead, because all the things she says, you know, intercommunal bonding and and thing is exactly what JCK said. Uh, so the the end goal is all the same. It's just a matter of well, who has who's on the inside and who's on the outside uh, like every single other single political battle that's i think what it comes down to yeah and and it's uh, like this is a telling tweet not everyone needs a degree in ethnic studies to participate in our discourse but it's valuable to really learn our history before dismissing it while utterly decontextual decontextualizing what's happening now uh so what is this a defense of how valuable an Asian American studies uh, degree is, or like what 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 is the point of this? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's. I mean, the ultimate thing is when something like this happens, like like a wave of Asian Americans uh, get attacked. What is your instinctive response? Is your instinct to defend those Asian Americans, and that's your number one priority, or is it something else? And I think that's what it comes down to. You don't need, uh, you know, a two hundred thousand dollar degree to parse that out it's like what do you feel in your gut and that puts you on one side or the other and i think that's what that's what this fight is all about like what are your priorities like everyone feels bad these attacks are happening no no asian american except the most depraved are like happy this is happening but there are ones who are putting this as like true number one priority and those who aren't uh scott kurashige writes thank you to jen you took so much care with this tweet that I'm just going to write JCKNTSTFU. I'm not sure what the NT stands for, um, but NT. JCK, shut the fuck up. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to. Oh, uh, this is kind of unrelated, but uh, another great friend of ours, Jeff Yang, recently tweeted out something about who are the who have been the greatest Asian American activists of like the last decade. It was the most sickening thread I've, I've seen in a long time. It, it was like a. It's like the world's least appealing orgy of just everyone just jerking God. each other off. <laughs> and it's it's probably the sad part is it's probably including a lot of people. I mean, did it include like Grace Lee Boggs and and people like that? Or? No, no. I mean, the, I mean, you, first of all, you probably have to have a Twitter handle. I mean, th- that's what it was all for. It was all boosting each other, probably trying to get each other more followers and stuff. Oh God! Uh, to the best of my knowledge, Grace Lee Boggs doesn't have a Twitter account. Oh, it was all it was all Twitter losers. Okay. <laughs> um. Okay, so this guy's like, I'm going to write JCK, NT, ST, like JCK, shut the fuck up and link to your thread from now on because it's all just exhausting. What What is this language of like, I, I this is, this people is do this all the time. This is pointless Twitter drama, cloud farming. Just, yeah, we should just not pay attention to it. I mean, it's important to pay attention to, to know what the, what the overall political uh, battles are, but these like replies of everyone just, yeah, you know, boosting each other. Yeah, just look. Uh, here's the thing. I mean, I mean, 
I'm not saying that like anyone should be above this stuff. I'm just saying there's a difference between sniping at each other because you're, you know, trying to protect your turf and your status as an individual uh, to be like, I deserve respect. And, you know, people need to understand that I put in the work and that I need to be respected. And I feel like I was being subtweeted and that's fucked up. And it's become a personal argument. Versus like a substantive fucking debate or discussion about what's actually happening, which is a wave of violence against like street violence against Asian people on the streets mm-hmm. like that. That's there's no discussion in her thread about the actual thing. It's all just defending her legacy. That's like the only thing that matters. So yeah. he responded and I'm glad he responded. He said, uh, it's truly incredible. Oh, wait, wait, sorry. That's not the response. Um, There's been a lot of mischaracterizing of what I said about the attacks on Asians, and I don't really care about 99% of them, (laughs) but I respect Jen, and this also happens to be one of my areas of interest. So I will say, I said the key is community and solidarity work. Um, Okay. I said that because I mean that. It's what I will do... uh, Oh, this this is good. It's what I will do myself and what I hope others will do. But regarding the other point, we've had 40 years of ethnic studies professors telling us about the Third World Liberation Front and the I-Hotel. Every time – I'm not sure what the I-Hotel is. Every time some at, uh, Asian-American study person gets mad at me, they tell me to go study the Third World Liberation Front and that I don't know my history. I wrote an entire chapter of my upcoming book on Third World Liberation Front and the I-Hotel. They are inspiring examples of how young people can organize. But they also are the examples that get trotted out every time. Why? We have not had we have not had another great example of solidarity work in fifty years. I mean, we had rush hour. I don't know why people don't talk. <laughs> why is it just Third World Liberation Front, Grace Lee Boggs, I Hotel, over and over again? It's a number of reasons, mostly having to do with immigration patterns. But may, maybe that message isn't working anymore. Jen and I want the same thing: an engaged movement built around real solidarity work and opposed to the carceral state. I don't get why pointing out how far we have to go to get there is somehow disrespectful to people who are doing the work now. They know that too. Not sure how I could have been clearer than this. Regarding what I called summit activism, I'll stand by that. Post-1992, a whole lot of Asian American academics did a whole lot of panels about Black and Korean relations and really worked to obscure the enormity of the divide. And he's in that particular tweet, he's uh, quote tweeting one of his own tweets which is at some point, one of these foot patrols where the cops themselves will falsely accuse or attack a black person, we will have a central park five. That's, that, that, that's what he was talking about. So he's saying, you know, I could, I don't think I could have been more clear that I'm, I'm actually trying to avoid, like I'm saying, and this goes back to the point, which is, I think he's, he is correct here, which is if you're not going to get substantive about what's actually happening and and saying that this is an issue of black on Asian violence and just being upfront and clear about that. Then at some point you are setting up the potential, you're setting up an event where, you know, a vigilante or a vigilante group or the police uh, look, seeing, sensing an opportunity here uses this uh, to, to do like have a false accusation against someone. And, you mean a you know, false or, accusation of a of a black assailant on an Asian victim of a black assailant, or you know whatever it is. I mean, I think it's hard to predict what it could be, but the opportunism is there. I think he's right. The opportunism is there, just like there was opportunism, uh, you know, to like sue Harvard, and you know, on behalf of Asian Americans, I'm sure that there's uh, something here where 
they can use these attacks on Asian American on Asians uh, as uh, justification for further police brutality uh, against yeah. black people. I think it's you know in I mean? San Francisco. The the DA there or something. That guy Chesa Budin or something. I know that guy has been getting a lot of heat because I mean, way back last year when there was that attack on, I think he was like a homeless uh, elderly Chinese man. Uh, he was attacked, and then I think his attackers pretty much suffered no consequences, and then that that's why he his name kind of got floated around. Now, if you were let's say his challenger. Like there's like ample opportunity now to to because it's like it's like this buildup of whatever like uh, material and it's become very flammable and because uh, these like elite Asian American liberals are totally unable or unwilling to uh, address it you know vent it out some in a productive way an opportunist could come along and just light the whole shit on fire and that's the central I mean I think that's the central disagreement here uh, between uh, Jen and JCK is. And I and I side with JCK on this. It is that what Jen's saying and what the what were what the Asian American liberal elite is saying, uh, including in that NBC Asian American uh, article about how where where you know people are too Asian Asian people are mad about this are are too zealous in pushing for hate crime designation things like that. Uh, as well as what Casey mentioned, remember, like when this was happening in San Francisco a couple of years ago, uh, you know, it was community organizers, Asian community organizers that were, you know, pulling microphones out of people's hands if they if they even brought up the, the issue of black on Asian violence. Oh, really? Um, I think what they're saying is you have to suppress this topic because Asian Americans cannot like your your average Asian American who doesn't have an ethnic studies background doesn't have the 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 historical knowledge to speak about this without being just a basic anti-black asian because that's what asians are they're anti-black and they're going to let the anti-blackness come out if you let them talk right so you don't let them talk you let us who have been educated about the history and understand the coolness of the third world liberation front and and, and all that stuff and, and the history of that come and talk about black Asian solidarity. Now I'm not totally against that point of view, like in terms of there needing to be historical context, but I am completely against the idea that what the, what you should do is allow a small segment of ethnic studies people to do all the talking for you. And then I think JCK saying this doesn't work anymore because the more you throw uh, suppression on the topic, um, the worst, the, actually, the worse it gets in terms of fanning um, anti-black sentiment, and I think the reason for that, and he pointed this out in his thread, is because we have social media now. You can't mm-hmm. stop discussion around this stuff. People will just go into other a place that you're not moderating and talk about it. And yeah. it's not really JCK's fault that she's becoming irrelevant. It's social media's fault. People don't need uh, organizers like her to set the uh, agenda as to what can and can't be talked about. They're just going to talk about it their way. And if they don't like what you, what you're saying, they'll just cut you out. And I think that's what she's really, uh, that's why people like her are frustrated, not because uh, a JCK is willing to speak up against her uh, or, or her, or her ilk, but because she's just irrelevant by, by nature of the fact that we don't need uh, these people to organize uh, discourse anymore. 
we could yeah, just like, like the social justice like the social justice middle people like they're becoming yeah. increasingly irrelevant when these attacks happened like there were these um like instagram accounts like asians with attitude asian dawn they have in- an incredible number of followers i had never even heard of these people and i'm just like whoa where did you spring up from and they're very active and they've got um like a lot of support from all sorts of asians uh you know men women young old uh and even like non-asians on there um and I, I think that is very threatening to to the like elite Asian American establishment, which for like the last probably from about you know start of the millennium to maybe five ish years ago, were the caretakers of basically Asian anger. I think well, the thing that comes down to this is Asian American anger is, extre- is seen as extremely dangerous. Not necess- not really because we're going to do anything about it, but because it's very politically inconvenient. It will damage a lot of the existing like social structure. So it has to be suppressed and only let out in approved ways, uh, filtered, uh, you know, conditioned and all that. And that's what these people's job was, was, was to, to make sure that, you know, the Asian Americans don't get too angry about all the shit that goes on that we have a, a right to get angry about. And, and now they can't control it anymore. And, and they're very worried and scared. I think it's dangerous to them in the sense that they don't really have any power and they never had any power in this quote uh, Asian American liberal discourse, which is really, really just, you know, the the loser lunch table of a much larger, <laughs> li, you know, at liberal uh, conversation going or or liberal uh, establishment. The Asian American par- liberals that they're talking about are part of this, but a sort of marginalized wing of it. And I think they're afraid of anger because they don't have any power and they don't have any influence. And so if they get angry, they'll just get if the Asian Americans get uppity. Uh, and and you know break with uh, the larger liberal uh, uh, larger liberal politics, then this group has nothing to offer. Right? Yeah, it's like they what can't... it's like what little relevance they have. And like, say you go to DC, you know, a place like DC, and you know, you work at like an Asian American civil rights group. I mean, I which I which I did for like a summer. You see how low on the totem pole you are. Even that, um, they're clinging on to. So if you, as you said, if you get too uppity, too loud, you you break too much of the bonds that they've spent like decades building. Yeah. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll just be booted off the totem pole altogether. They won't even be. The you, I think you moment. said. I think you said on your pod that like you can tell because when they take the p- picture with like Barbara, you know, Barbara Boxer or whatever. Yeah. Like, the Asian person will be like almost cut out of the picture. They'll be yeah, you'll be at the be, very <laughs> end. Yeah, yeah, and we'll be told to take ta- the picture. <laughs> yeah, and their job is to manufacture consent among Asian Americans to blindly follow uh, the liberal Democrats. That's it. That that's their job. And if you're angry and you want, you know, you want attention or you want some, you want to be have one of your issues heard because you don't think that the establishment gives a shit. The establishment will turn to people, you know, that get funded like a reappropriate or whatever, 18 million rising and be like, do a better job. Tell your people to shut the fuck up. That's the, that's basically what it is. You know what I mean? And people have had enough. They don't they don't need the liberal establishment. Yeah, That's the thing. Was, people don't. There's other games in town, you know? Yeah, there was a guy, Alton Wang. I don't know if you guys if you've seen this guy's tweets come up, but uh I, I've seen him and like one of his tweet threads was like, 
oh, you know, it starts off with mourning the, all the deaths and violence against Asian Americans. But pretty much the rest of the tweet was, you know, scolding Asian Americans, you know, for not showing up when, you know, uh, like uh, Muslims were being uh, targeted, uh, you know, f- or for being like anti-black or all that. And I went to his bio or, or something and he used to work at 18 million rising. I'm like, oh, no wonder. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that's that's the name of the game. I think anyone that goes into politics, you know, we're, you know, interning on the hill with Democrats or whatever, you know what you know what your fucking job is as an Asian American. You're there to you're there you're 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 kind of like um, the person who can speak you know Chinese that works at this customer service center for like the credit card. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. you're an outreach you're an outreach specialist for the Democrats to 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 sell into the Asian American bloc. And the funny thing is, they're not even really at this point, even from what I understand uh, about people who are deep in that space, um, you know, like the AAPI Victory Fund, um, Varun Nikor, we used to talk to him. I should actually reach out to him. We haven't talked to him in ages, but. Hey, I just want to say, I want to give uh, kind of begrudging respect to the AAPI Victory Fund because early on, they they hitched their wagon to the Biden star way, way back when it was really uncool to do that. But in the end, they won. So, I mean, props to them for, I guess, doing that. Cause like, oh, you uh, mean for bucking the Liz Warren? Uh, trend (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, they well i think they they at least they have their they they have the expertise to realize like who's probably going to win yeah although i (laughs) think back then liz warren was an identitarian driven pick yeah but i think even back then i think even the the top party insiders had no faith in biden and i when i saw the api victory fund dude i like laughed at them like they're so out of touch but hey you Mm -hmm. know they were right (laughs) <laughs> that's true. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Diamond hands. They had diamond hands. <laughs> old Joe, old Diamond Joe hands. Diamond Joe hands. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So that was, um, sorry, I'm, 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 I'm eating a little bit. Um, okay. So that was good. Uh, we have, I think we have time to maybe talk about the, um, Ginny what is Georgia? it called? The, yeah, Ginny and Georgia. Ginny. Yeah. Okay, Number Ginny. one on Netflix right now, TV or movie. That's how dire Netflix is. Um, actually, I, I mean, maybe the rest of the show is good, but uh, I've, I've seen the trailer. It, it looks like typical Netflix by the numbers crap. But I mean, that, that's just one of the things that's been, uh, you know, hard over, over the year. I mean, among the many other things, but uh, uh, among the less, you know, life threatening things, it's just total dearth of culture. Everything's just been put on standstill. Like, yeah, every once in a while, like a, like a, a movie comes on and stuff. But we're just, you know, just there's just seems to, everything's in stasis and whatever. Yeah, but, uh, someone someone had a really. I was watching um, Trevor's live stream a couple days ago, and someone had a really funny comment that he put on the screen, which was, "Netflix is like the TV that people in movies watch." Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's that was like really the, good. That was a really good. That was a really yeah. good one. Like the sort of like fake news network that'll show up in um in a yeah. in a, in a or the parody movie. show that that's like not not a parody in the in that show's universe, but it's meant to be like a send up of an actual show when we watch it. But yeah. anyway, yeah, yeah. so this Ginny and Georgia thing, this this clip went viral because it's just like one minute spat between the protagonist who is Ginny, I believe. I think Georgia's her mom's name, and she is is half black, half white, and her I think this is her boyfriend or at least the guy she's dating at the time of this episode is uh his hapa and then they go around uh passionately talking about which one is closer to whiteness 
and which one is more Asian or black. And it's just that pure Twitterese garbage that people are just really sick of. And then there was like, I think the okay, so that that is funny. And but then there was interesting like, like other debates that spiraled out of it. For instance. <clears throat> One person said, oh, you know that white women wrote this. But it turned out that uh, not only were uh, two black writers mostly responsible for it, but if you went back in their timeline, they were very proud of it. They were boasting about, um, you know, they themselves uh, grew up in like a biracial household. And and for the first time, they were allowed to uh, talk about it on on like a national uh, platform. So then there was this. You know how with like Mulan, when it turned out that movie was kind of crap, all the Asian Americans tried to blame the white people. Yeah. Um, it was it was the kind of thing where you know when whenever like minorities make something bad, uh, now we got to find a way to blame white people for it. <laughs> well, what's funny was um, it had because because the because and and uh, I'll put a clip of the of the um, of of the dialogue into this. One, you don't get it. You are closer to white than I'll ever be. Together, we make a whole white person. Your favorite fruit is cheeseburgers, and I know more Mandarin than you do. You're barely even Asian. Sorry, I'm not Chinese enough for you, but I've never seen you pound back jerk chicken. Last time I checked, Brody twerks better than you, and I liked your poem, but your bars could use a little more work, homie. So really, how black are you then? Excuse me? What? Literally? What? Because if we're going to play that game, let's do it. Oppression Olympics. Let's go. But like, I think Eliza had had tweeted it, and someone uh, on Twitter, like that I that I know, like responded immediately. Like, you can tell white people wrote this, and this is from the Asian side because this this is this this conversation has both a half Asian person and a half black person, and. It's it's kind of interesting. I, I kind of want to talk about it just because both both perspectives are sort of equally represented here. I mean, it's just it's it's funny that they wrote about a half Asian person, but both writers are black. But they were basically engaged in a sort of like mutual assured destruction of each other, where they were both accusing each other of not being Asian enough or not being black enough, right? Yeah, and um, basically calling out the other as being like inauthentic. Yeah, and uh, it's funny because both the black and the Asian response that I saw on Twitter was, "This must have been written by a white person," mm-hmm. and and then there, a, a, an ensuing debate going like, "I don't think there were any white people on this one." They're like, "I don't know. It just sounds really white." I thought that was really, in- I mean, on the surface, it, it kind of seems um, like you know, like a trivial sort of thing. But the more I thought about it, we had like a, you know, we had that DM going on with uh, Trevor and stuff. Um, the more I thought that this was a, actually almost um, almost like it was really it's something that I've been thinking a lot, like kind of rethinking a little bit, you know, because it is therefore. If you listen to the cl- clip, I think it's very easy to dismiss it as the the. How do I like the surface level Twitterese understanding that woke white people might have about um, you know POC lived experience or whatever you want to say? And it turned out, no, it wasn't white people that was writing this at all. As you said, it was actually two black writers who were saying that that they were really trying to relay their 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 firsthand experience. And so it was like, like we should take them at their word. I think that that was an authentically you know, emotionally honest uh, 
a bit of dialogue there. And yet it still rings so false uh, to a lot of black and Asian people. And I, I just, I just thought that was really interesting because it, it made me wonder whether, um, uh, you know, actually authenticity, because like, we, we're always talking about how like we're not getting enough authenticity and it sounds fake and it's not, you know, it's, we're not putting POC voices, authentic POC voices. And then when they do, quote, put an, a POC voice, it actually rings just as false, if right. not even more false. You know what I mean? Which That's I really think, interesting to me. Yeah, which I think gets to the actual heart of the issue, which is not about authenticity at all, because everything is authentic to someone. Even if you're the fakest person ever, that is your authentic self. And that's that's not the real issue the, the real issue is like do we want to have to put up with this shit you know as being put before us for us to spend our time with and, and admire and and you know discuss that i mean that it's, it's a privilege to get your stuff put out there and it's really ultimately not a question of authenticity i'm sure these people tried really hard and hell this might even be the way they speak we just don't like it we just don't want to see it and a lot of us just want to see something else i think that's it's as simple as that it's just not good it's really not a question of authenticity it's a question of quality because if you make it about authenticity well then you fall into a trap of you know you know prioritizing like lived experience as some kind of credential like everybody has a lived experience but not everybody gets to put that on netflix so it's a it's a it's a question of who gets to put their stuff on netflix and that's what people are really angry about when they say authenticity it's like how come this select crowds authenticity which nobody finds appealing Oh, except maybe themselves get to constantly put it up there. Yeah, it's like a it's authentic, but it's also incoherent. And so it's kind of like kind of the I mean, in a way, and I hate to it's it's bad because like I have sympathy for that point of view. I think if we can have good conversations about this stuff in the sense that maybe it doesn't make for good Netflix viewing, but I found it to be triggering a very interesting discussion. So it's useful in that sense, right? I wouldn't say it's good writing, but yeah, you know, it I mean, made this me think thing, like, uh -huh. oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I mean, this the, that clip got like millions upon millions of views. Whoever, whoever tweeted it out, uh, it's probably in the hundreds of thousands now in terms of retweets. It obviously wasn't. I mean, there's plenty of cringe out there, especially on Netflix. They don't get this kind of attention. It did hit at something very, um, like important to people, and and I think we're still trying to figure out what that is. It made me think of um, another <clears throat> video uh, or, or clip that was online that didn't get quite as viral, but I thought was, it was better, but also in a way false, like less true than this. And that's this acapella clip from Key and Peele. The, oh, yeah, you talked a, about this. Uh, describe have you seen it. I haven't this seen before? it. No, I don't okay. think I have. Okay, so it's... um. It's a comedy skit from Key and Peele, and it's like an all-white acapella group that has like a token black guy, right? And uh -huh. that's Jordan Peele. And what happens is like they'll be like they'll sing like really really white barbershop quartet song, and then at the end, Jordan Peele does this little like weird vocal riff, like you know he 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 he's, he sort of does like a little jazzy riff, uh -huh. and all the white people are so impressed. They're like, wow. That is amazing. And that's his sort of like black, that's his sort of like black flourish coming through. Mm -hmm. And of course, he's a very like white black guy, right? Like he's yeah. on college campus or whatever. And he, 
he kind of talks a little like, you know, white, right? And then one day, um, uh, he shows up. And it's an it's another black guy, right? Yeah. And there's an instant sort of rivalry between the two black guys, mm-hmm. and so they 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 go through practice again, and then Peel does his sort of like flourish, and then he comes in and he does another flourish on top of his, and then <laughs> the white people give him attention, and they're like, "Whoa, that's awesome!" And they're like, "Okay, wrap it up, guys. We'll see you next. Uh, we'll see you next week." And when all the white people leave. Key and Peel suddenly take off their white aspirational masks and become, you know, kind of like street black, right? And then <laughs> yeah. they're like, there ain't enough room. I, like, I'm the black man in this acapella, you know, there ain't enough room. And then Key is, you know, gets all aggro. He was like, uh uh-uh. uh. He was yeah. like, you know, I'm taking this from you. And it was really funny because I think there was a certain sort of disparagement at, you know, this sort of like liberal black aspirational class that wants to join white barbershop quartets on, you know, liberal arts campuses. Right. Mm-hmm. But now in context to this Gideon George, Gideon George thing, uh, I'm starting to think that there's something that that's, that's quite false about that Key and Peele skit in that there is no underlying, quote, authentic blackness to a lot of, lot of people um, who find themselves in that social context. I don't think they're hiding, you know, this like, uh, like, like, I don't think Asian people are hiding the uh, inner fob that really wants to come out and just tell these white people off or whatever. And they're just doing it because they absolutely love the white attention. I think they're genuinely confused. And I think the confusion in that clip is, as you said, authentic. I think it is an authentic expression of, of the uh, identity confusion uh, of a lot of non-white people who find themselves in, uh, let's call it like, you know, elite elite white campuses or or white predominantly. I don't even know what the word is. Not even that it's predominantly white, but that the culture is, yeah, sort of. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, it, it's like it, the whole reason you want to go to that school is because it's linked to like the Roosevelt or the Kennedys. You know, right. you sure your yeah. student body might actually now be almost like a quarter, if even more, minority, but mm-hmm. the, the the prestige of the institution rests on its whiteness. Yeah, and and and, and I think that um, the maybe uh, maybe if they were to do something like Ginny and George, but with a tad bit more self awareness, like if the people, if the writers. We're not so um, earnest. We're they're not too just. They're too earnest, and they're and I, they're too earnest, and I yes, and they're they're too um, convinced that all they have to do is accurately represent themselves, and that makes for good content. Yeah, but they actually, but but they haven't done any interesting analysis or self reflection that they want to also communicate, and um, there just isn't a sort of awareness to it like do you know what i mean like it's yeah because i think if that scene and or maybe this is like like a wonder years thing and there's like a voiceover and then there's acknowledgement that this happened but it was really cringe i think that could rescue right. the scene but instead, even 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 a girl's level type of satirical like a satir like a humorous satirical um connotation to it but it, it just was too earnest you're right it just yeah, played as this is I, I think, this is how what conversations go yeah i think i think what piss people off is this is being portrayed as these people are having a moment you're supposed to feel for them but people are like why 
why am I supposed to feel for them? And I think that's it's that demanding of your sympathy that that ticked people off because these people are are lame and and uh, you know they're they're not heroes they're they're just being really just corny and and they need to get offline and maybe live a little and and I think I think it's 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 that entitlement to your to your sympathy that I think people just were like no <laughs> I I will I will offer I will offer this though I don't think that. There is, I don't think we're at that point yet where I don't actually think that there has been enough understanding of those issues to engage in that kind of like uh, sort of satire, you know, or to take on that satirical tone because I don't think people understand it. You know, yeah, what I, mean? I, I think, I think what we're seeing on Netflix is. Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess that the people in charge are probably late 30s, early 40s. So that whole generation where it, it, the, the idea of, you know, being post-racial and, you know, like interracial relationships um, solving everything. I mean, there there is a trend in Netflix that a lot of people have picked up on. They have this obsession with biracial, light-skinned black girls and and like the the white bay, the the love interest always being this like clean cut, nice white guy. I think this is kind of like the the fantasy of this generational cohort playing out, you know, black, but not too black. And they all want the the satisfaction of, of like winning the, the white partner. Um, and yeah, I think that's what we're seeing. Um, I And if you ever go to like a, any space that's very critical of, you know, SJWs and all that, they, a lot of them, uh, a common criticism. What, what does that mean? Like a right, kind of a right winger type thing? or what, Either what, that what or that just mean? something that's very anti-identity politics. It can be left or right. Um, one of the things they'll criticize is when you're, when you're so woke, you actually become like a segregationist where you actually don't like, for example, interracial relationships. You want like separate race specific housing, whether you're on campus or in a neighborhood you know, you're like very against gentrification. So you want like all black or all Asian neighborhoods. So I, I think that that's uh, the younger generation's reaction to this type of, uh, you know, starry-eyed, a post-racial bliss uh, mindset, which I think is we're seeing in our culture because that generation is now uh, seizing power because they're coming of age in terms of getting into management and, and getting into power. So, I mean, I, I think at least for a short while more, we're probably going to see more of this because this is this is their like ideology and fantasy. I mean, like when when it comes to like the way that this was handled um, among Asians, like you know, the was it Jenny Zong who wrote the thing that you really liked? Um, oh yeah, the the rookie essay, far away from me. Yeah, like where yeah. she just came. Like I feel like that was kind of you know because that could have been done in a sort of like. The topic of like WMAF can can result in cringe like this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also be done, also you know, in a in a way that's more knowing. And I felt like the things that she was writing about were no different than things that have been sort of like you know depicted before, but without question, like depicted before, but without that level of awareness or consciousness about it. Uh-huh. And that became cringe. And but if you came along and you have a writer or someone who has sort of processed it a bit more and has something to say about it that is not immediately obvious or immediately, you know, um, 
you know, just like imitate, like mimicking, like what you see online by people that don't that that tweet dumb shit. That that could be good too. I mean, I, I think that the I guess what I'm saying is that the cultural racial confusion of of po of my of ethnic of poc i don't even know what the right term is these days because i don't really like bipoc poc i don't know I, I don't even know if i'm saying that right i don't yeah <laughs> yeah it, it's just the fucking it, 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 anyway um but anyway what i'm saying is that the um the cultural confusion the salt insecurity about authenticity you know the uh the self-loathing that can be projected onto by poc onto other poc in these spaces or whatever all to me are valid and interesting and important topics. And, oh yeah, for um, sure. I definitely agree with that. I just yeah, think it's being executed it ha- poorly. Exactly. Exactly. I just think it's being executed poorly. So I'm not totally against the Ginian, uh, the what is it, George Ginian Georgia, 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 Ginian Georgia. But like, I just think like it needs that scene should be redone. Uh, in the future by someone who has uh, better has processed it better has thought through more and maybe even has more life experience than than i think and part of the problem might be that it is like netflix and those executive producers always wanting to go for someone who's very current and in the moment and has their finger on the pulse of what's going on social media and not someone who's an actual fucking writer and has had life experience and isn't just shit posting all day on Twitter, but actually has some like writerly things to say. Yeah. And and it isn't just in, in enlisted to be both um writer and social media manager. You know yeah, what I mean? This is this is how sometimes you can accidentally not accidentally, but find things that were made like 10, 20, maybe even like 30 years ago, even maybe written by somebody not of your race even maybe a white person and they're actually way more insightful on race than you know the so-called woke people now because the problem with the woke people now is that they're very predictable you know they're they have like a platform of things they're supposed to say and do you're very familiar with it anyone who has spent any time on like twitter or tiktok will know it and it's just predictable and there's a there's like a pattern that you see uh but sometimes you know you, you go like out of random, some some really interesting things can be said. You, you, like you know, I think something like Harold and Kumar was like really unexpectedly insightful about a lot of things about race. And it was written by a bunch of white Jewish guys, you know, because they weren't they were just like just being honest and and not following a program. They just like hey, this is what we see. There's no pressure on us to you know follow this agenda. Now we're just gonna we're just gonna put it down. He, even an Aaron Sorkin has written pretty good stuff, like in Social Network. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, Social Network, like right? one of. Yeah, one of, I think one of the most astute observations just made about, uh, you know, just like Asian American college campus culture, uh, you know, of, of that era, that kind of like Facebook era, like 2000s. Again, total accident. Well, not accident in that he didn't mean to do it, but he, he, he just like wasn't following anyone's instructions. He was just like, hey, th- this is what I see in here uh, and I'm just going to do it. Yeah, I mean, because in a way, Aaron Sorkin is so liberated as an established white writer on, you know, huge projects with a, you know, he's super famous, that he is sort of above the constraints, because people aren't even thinking of him as being part of that POC conversation. So they're, right. not even poli- the thing, they're not even really policing what he's saying. The funny thing about Aaron Sorkin is that the things that does 
I mean, it's not like he's a good writer on race, but the things that actually probably he's more limited by are, are like white people stuff. Because on that, he has a very specific agenda. You know, you watch oh, like a trial yeah, of yeah. the Chicago 7. He is very preoccupied with an agenda. Whereas when he was writing about, you know, like the Asian American characters in the social network, he was totally out of the loop. He didn't give a damn what uh you know like real appropriate was saying or whatever uh, yeah he he was he, yeah. he he probably didn't know anything about it which is actually what made it kind of exactly. good in a way yeah where he he was like we we should have a scene about because it's true if you look at like the facebook guys they all had asian partners or, or asian girlfriends or wives right uh and um he was like, we should have a scene that talks about that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a pretty good one because it just, it wasn't really about any understanding of Asian people. It was an understanding of the mentality of the, you know, of the white or the Jewish, uh, white Jewish guys at Harvard that he thinks he has um, a beat on in terms of like why it is that they always date Asian on Harvard, uh, on Harvard's campus. Right. Yeah. And I think it was that one, it was a, uh, uh, sort of like a I don't give a shit. This is something that I saw in, at Harvard. I don't I don't know why it didn't seem like a sensitive topic to him, right? Yeah, it was just like or like I, I, I think in the book, uh, the accidental billionaires. I mean, I think in the interviews with someone like Eduardo Saverin, he just comes out and says it like, "Oh yeah, I I did it Asian because you know they're just easier for me because I, I was like a loser in the white frats, but I was like a winner, you know, in the Jewish frat, you know, kind of thing." And, and all the all the Asians came to the Jewish frats because they couldn't really get into the white frats. And he just right. come out and say it. And if you're Asian American, you get policed to hell for for depicting a scene like that. But you know, he was just he was just so out of the loop and didn't care. So he just put it in. <laughs> yeah, and and as far as I know, there was no real Asian American pushback on any of that stuff. I don't even know if they were aware of it. But well, they, they were, were. I think they realized they don't have jurisdiction. Yeah, I mean, there were some complaints about how the the Brenda Song character is like this dragon lady thing, but there, you know, it was also like. 2009 so it was before i don't know if that movie came out now there would probably be some more backlash but it was it was kind of like in those days yeah all right anyway um anything any other things to discuss we're at a we should probably uh wrap it up but yeah i think um, we're at a good time now fruitful discussion yeah oh it was good talking again man i mean it's been it's been a while i know you've been busy with the other stuff but hopefully we get to jump more on these uh, yeah yeah i'll be on a lot more now yeah very nice very nice okay all right uh okay enjoy the rest of your lo-fi uh lo-fi hip-hop beats to chill to on on a saturday and uh Mm -hmm. uh talk to you next time man all right see ya